Hello there, welcome to episode 196 of Riot Act. This is the Alternative Music Podcast. Hi, how are you? My name's Stephen Hill. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're looking forward to the Jubilee weekend. Renfrey and I are massive, massive royalists, aren't we, Renfrey? Renfrey's here, although Renfrey is staying in a is in a different room to where you normally are, so you're kind of shrouded in darkness. I was just saying, I feel like I'm uh, interviewing Martin McGuinness in um, from, <laughs> from from the, the was he from the IRA? I can't remember. Anyway, I'm interviewing somebody, some spokesperson for the IRA on um, ITV. Back in 1987 was what I sort of felt like I was doing early on there. I'm trying, uh, I'm trying, but you're not, you're not. I'm trying to turn a lamp on for your benefit, but it's mm. doing absolutely nothing. Um, yes, hello, Steve. How are you? I'm not part of the I'm right. not last Okay, time good. Yeah, good. Um, I'm all right, thanks, mate. I'm not too bad. I've had a fairly busy old week. I'm not going to lie. It's been a busy week. Three-day week, isn't it? We're recording this show a day early, just so we can get in on the... I mean, hey, look, we've got a bloody... This whole bloody jubilee that's happening, isn't it? Whole there? bloody jubilee. Exciting, isn't it? Thank Can't God wait. save the Queen. Lovely stuff. Bloody love. Going to go down to Woking and hang out with Prince Andrew. That's what I'll be doing. <laughs> Don't know about you. <laughs> wearing my uh, anti-perspirant deodorant, <laughs> of course. I don't want to like, get sweaty in front of him. Mm, yes, absolutely. Um... I think we should not really. avoid Prince Andrew <laughs> on this on this time. I, I think everybody should <laughs> should avoid Prince Andrew. Absolutely. To be perfectly honest, yes, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, on the show this week, we're going to be chatting about new music from The Smile, Everything Everything, Just Mustard, Porridge Radio, Casket Feeder. There are live reviews of Casket Feeder. We're going to kind of double up on that. And uh, we went to see everyone from Glassjaw to the Pet Shop Boys over the last week. So we're going to be chatting about them as well. Uh, You should go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and you can sign up for our exclusive content which we were talking yesterday about all the new things that are going to be going up on the Patreon page very, very soon. So I won't give it too heavy a sell really because it's been pretty um pretty barren over the last few weeks but we are planning to get back on the old patreon thing recently and broken records has been late apologies for that but um you know three day week we're both really busy stuff's going on sorry about that but it's it's fine it's going to be coming back i think we're going to do a um uh a couple of writers reviews on um zwan the billy corgan post smashing pumpkins project and open hand as well the i guess kind of the they're only the band that queens of the stone age could have been that's a little spoiler for that yeah we will try to get those out um asap at some point. yeah um Anyway, so there you go. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and you can sign up for all of that and more and actually more. But also we should say a big thank you to our sponsors down at the Arctangent Festival. That is um, your favourite festival, is it Renfrey? I would say so. Yeah, I love it. Is that fair to say? It's your favourite festival in the whole world? I think so. I've been to every single uh, edition that they've had. So, mm-hmm. and I can't say that of any other festival in the world. So, I'd, yeah, I'd say it's accurate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Literally every single one you've ever been to. Yeah. That's mad. I've been to every single one. I, is there a festival that I'm 
I don't know if there is a festival. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. That's got nothing to do with the sponsorship <laughs> that we're going. Anyway, 17th to 20th of August 2022 is where Arctangent takes place. And if you go over to arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets, you can get your ticket and you can get money off of your ticket when you put the code RIOTACTATG into the checkout. And it means you'll be able to go and see bands like Opeth, Cult of Luna and Tesseract, who are all headlining. Zelenada, looking forward to seeing Zelenada this coming week. Yes. Actually, I've been smashing that album. And um, yeah, I've been smashing a couple of the bands of that I'm going to be seeing this week. And they're one of them. I'm very, very excited mm. to see them. Alcest, Leprous, Perturbator. Um, I actually had to stick up for Perturbator on the old internet the other day. Oh, you did know, you? Yeah, because some metalheads were going, oh, bleep, bleep, bleep. And then someone else went, oh, who likes this apart from people that take drugs? And I just thought, fucking hell. Fucking hell. Like, are we not past this? Do you know what I mean? Have we have we not traversed way beyond people who just like guitar music thinking that about anyone who doesn't just play the guitar? Very disappointed to see that. Mm. Um, although I have to say, not entirely surprised. Um, so yes, Perturbate is playing. That would be really, really good. Got Devil Soul of Soul, McCluskey, Enslaved, Lightning Bolt, Jamie Lennon, Caspian, Bosk, The Arm, Paul Bearer, Agent Fresco, Puppy have just been added this week, I believe. Palm Reader, friends of ours and favourites of ours. Earthtone 9, who the festival are named after. A.A. Williams, Conjure, Imperial Triumphant. Loads and loads of really, really good bands. And um, it's funny, actually, because I was looking at that and I was thinking, there's a lot of people that I'd like to see there. And... I was sort of, I'm actually going to download in a couple of weeks mm. and I was sort of doing the, you know, you do the kind of clash finder in your head. Mm. Um, well, my clash finder at download is, is anyone going to clash with Bush? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's all you care about. And there can't be anyone that clashes with Bush because there's no one else I want to see yeah. at download apart from Bush. We should say this so, is the band Bush. This isn't Steve trying to go on some sort of sexy escapade. No, someone actually did. I did say that, and someone was like, "Oh, or oh Bush, or what? Or you're like seventies porn stars." And I said, "If you want to see some hairy cunts, then Elstorm are playing on the main stage." <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yes. Good. So anyway, don't know what this has got to art tangent, but as well, I looked at the I looked at the Glastonbury lineup, and I was like, "Oh, fuck that for clashes," and. I'm sort of looking at the Arc Tangent lineup and I'm thinking when the Clash Finder comes out, that is going to be another one of those, oh, fuck that for clashes, for clashes, isn't it? I have been, I don't know if I should say this, but I have been privy to the Clash Finder and I was very pleasantly surprised at how well it had been put together, is all I will say. Okay. Has it been put together specifically with you in mind? No. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. There are still clashes <laughs> for things that I want to see. I think but, it's impossible and inevitable that there will be clashes, right? Yeah, I don't want to give an example because I shouldn't do that. But the clashes, you know, the bands that are clashing, it's like, okay, whilst I do want to see both of them, it does make sense that it's those mm. two bands. I should also interject super quickly here and say that I actually recorded a um, sort of video chat answering all of your questions or rather people who... My questions? Well, no, 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 no. Uh, let me oh. rephrase that. All of the questions that have been submitted to the Arctangent social medias um, where we can just... Uh, just a little bit of like trying to explain what's been happening and what's been going on and how um, the festival has been affected by... All of the the stuff that we've talked about a million times before. Uh, but I believe that's going up on their socials the same day as this. 
so you can check that out as well if you're so fancy just to be clear did you ask james my questions for the festival remind me what your questions were steve when are you going to book your own your own? <laughs> oh, that one slipped the net somehow. I'm sorry. Right. I forgot about that. I think you're probably better off with 2,000 trees for that, although that would never happen in a billion years. <laughs> but yeah. Both. I think both. Different sets, different Duran Duran sets I'd be well across up. Yeah. Arc Tangent and 2,000 trees. Be well up. Just putting it out. Just putting it out. ATG. Uh, any, I'm up well up for seeing Duran Duran, yeah. <laughs> Although it's not relevant to what we're talking about, so I am going to move on. Um, yes, uh, so go over to arctangent.co.uk forward slash tickets and you can put the code RIOTACTATG into the checkout. You get 10% off of your ticket for what should be an excellent weekend. Thank you very much to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Very, very much appreciate it. Um, I started watching the other day I started watching Pistol, the Sex Pistols um, sort of biopic. It's biopic, isn't it? I think people have been saying biopic recently over the last few years. Not happy with that. I don't like biopic, <laughs> Rimfrey. Well, it is. Biopic, isn't it? Well, I mean, the derivation of the word is biography. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> I know that. And picture. Which would suggest a biopic was correct, but biopic sounds better. Yeah, it does. It sounds much better. And everyone used to say biopic, and now suddenly people are going, oh yeah, it's a biopic. It does seem to be a recent Rubbish. thing. It was a thing on Kermode and Mayo for a while, wasn't it? Great podcast. Mm. Check it out. It's a great podcast. Check it out. Although not that much. and Not at the expense of this one. Um, <laughs> no, they have anyway. a lot more listeners than we do. Yeah, they <laughs> don't need any more. more. Uh, I asked people what they thought. I'll get into what I think about it in a minute, but I asked people what they think about the show and about biopics in general. Um, Bradley Cassidy said, I enjoyed it, but I know Johnny Rotten has spoken out against it. I bet he fucking has. Might be worth discussing it as he claims he was never contacted until it was in production. Uh, Michael Collins said he did the first three episodes of it last night. As with most of these things, it's fairly corny, but I enjoyed it for what it was. Decent entertainment. Um, I started watching it, and as someone who is... I went into it like a little bit trepidatious because one, I really like the Sex Pistols, mm -hmm. but two, I am so aware and familiar with the lore and the story of the Sex Pistols. I did sort of think to myself, "What is the point of this? Surely the only this is only for people who are interested in Sex Pistols, and if you are interested in the Sex Pistols, surely yeah. you know all this already, right?" I think there's also sometimes a danger with those kind of um, biopics um, that it becomes an exercise in ticking off things, which, which it can does. be quite yeah. dangerous sometimes, I think. Because it, you yeah. don't feel like you're watching a cohesive narrative. You just feel like you're watching someone tick off there, boxes. There, you know? There's a bit where uh, John Ritchie, a.k.a. Sid Vicious, is talking to John Lydon okay johnny rotten and it's before he's in the band and he's going um and the guy and sort of johnny rotten's going you if you want to be called if you want to be in our band you're going to have to change your name he does that kind of right. oh really oh do i really want to be in your band <laughs> that's the sort of the only thing that he does really and he looks weird as fuck the geezer but um he uh he's like you we can't have two johns in the band and 
he was like, you've got big teeth like my hamster. And he's like, oh, yeah, oh, what, Sid? And then he's like, yeah, we'll call you Sid. And then he bites, the hamster bites him and he goes, oh, he's vicious. And you see him do the like, pring, light bulb bit. And I'm like, ah, didn't it happen like that? I mean, I, I just, I saw it coming. Do you know what I mean? I saw that from, from the second. It's like watching Queen write fucking We Will Rock You in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Where they're like, stamp, stamp, clap. And like, hey guys, try this. I wonder what it'll sound like. Mm. I just, you know, I just, it, it, it's too, it's too, it's too clearer. Do you know what I mean? It's too like waving this massive flag in your face going, this happened. This is how the thing happened. And everybody in it's famous. Everybody's famous in it. Like you, if you went back to that time, I'm sure there were people there who weren't, I mean, I guess they don't get in the fucking show because they end up being nothing. But literally every single person on in the frame at all times is like some sort of last supper of punk rock. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, look, it's Nick Kent and Mick Jones and Chrissy Hind and Steve Jones and Vivian Westwood and John Lydon and Paul Cook and Glenn Matlock. And do you know what I mean? Malcolm like McLaren. they're all fucking in. And Malcolm McLaren. Yeah, mate from... Yeah, matey from uh, matey from Love actually plays Malcolm McLaren, the one who looks like Chris Whitty. Um, <laughs> you know that kid who looks like Chris Whitty? <laughs> he plays Malcolm McLaren, and again, like I think they all do quite decent impersonations of him. Um, I don't think it's particularly well acted, even though it's got quite a good cast. Uh, I don't know, man. I think it's all right. I think if you really love the Sex Pistols and you just like being in that place you'll probably quite enjoy it, but you'll know everything that's coming and it'll be, there'll be no surprises. And Well, that would be you know, better for make... Radiohead, wouldn't it? If you think yeah. about it. It would be, yeah, yeah. It would, yeah. I don't know what the diehard fans are doing there. They should be at the Yakahoma Tower. The Yakahoma, the Yakahoma. <laughs> the Yakihoma Tower. Yaki-homa. That's not what it's called. Um, uh, also, uh, Mate from Wargasm's got a little part in it. Matey from Wargasm. Uh, Milky or... Um... No, mate. Oh, the other one. The other the, one. The, the son of the pistol. Right. Okay. He's got a little part in it. He's in it. I wonder how he got that. It's mad how he got that, isn't he? He must be a really good actor and a really good musician. I'm sure his dad had nothing to do with either of those things. But uh, yeah, he's not a great actor, to be honest. He's probably actually better at um, music than his acting. Okay. That's that's quite dabbing. Um, right. Yeah, it's very interesting those um those biopics that kind of go from place to place and just try to tick off all of those things. Um I mean this is another Kermode and Mayer reference, but they refer to it as the chubby hmm moment uh, because yeah. of the Carpenter's Karen Carpenter film mm. uh where where someone calls her chubby and she's like chubby hmm and then you know you <laughs> yeah. that song and yeah i mean i think the chubby hum moment is a pretty good name yeah. for it isn't it you know yeah that and that everyone being famous is like someone's on the phone for you who is it it's ali campbell from ub <laughs> oh well how old he looks like he would be 40 what <laughs> that's a great yeah, it sounds sounds rubbish to be honest. <laughs> yeah, who's that guy over there? They call him Suggs. Suggs, that's madness. <laughs> hmm. 
like every person in it. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, chubby. Hmm. Uh, we have a few. George Jackson actually sent us a tweet saying, biopics usually fall short and the story leaves out the bits they don't want you to hear or change things about to make the artists sound like better people. Some of the good as just films though, I'd recommend Notorious and Walk the Line. Uh, I don't mind Notorious. I do think Walk the Line is quite good. Uh, Lenny Reed says they are in unbearably cringy. Directors don't seem to know how to translate legendary tales of bands into anything other than icons looking like pricks. <laughs> 24 Hour Party People still has the best template for that sort of story and made the legendary tales at least seem natural. I think 24 Hour Party People... I mean, again, everybody in 24 Hour Party People is famous, right? Yeah. Every single person went on to be somebody of note in 24 hour party people but i do like i actually i do like 24 hour party people it has I think a it real gra- i think style of its own doesn't it that film and yeah and the um to to camera stuff is just fantastic um the way that uh oh fuck's sake tony what's his face tony wilson, wilson. tony wilson is like the unreliable narrator of the whole thing and it's it's really well done 24 hour party people what's your yeah, favorite musical music biopic you think i mean i have to say i think 24 hour party people be up there i think closer the joy division one is really good that's fantastic yeah rewatch that and for i think our special yeah great film. yeah and i think um straight out of compton's really good as well oh okay straight out of compton's really good and ice cubes son is like the the opposite of Glenn Matlock's son whereas right. Glenn Matlock's son can't even be someone who is literally just somebody at a gig let alone his own dad Ice Cube's son looks and acts and sounds and feels and captures the essence of his father so brilliantly awesome. um, he is the absolute standout in that film but I really I think Strata Compton is great I mean again historical inaccuracies all over the place mm. but it's a cool story you know i don't think the accuracies like 90 percent of the best biopics kind of take the characters for want of a better word from history and then like change the story around a little bit so classic wanky renfrey and arts and my favorite biopic is amadeus uh the three-hour yeah. biopic on mozart which is fucking incredible one oscars directed by milos foreman who did um one flew over the cuckoo's nest um absolutely mm-hmm. like have you seen amadeus i haven't we've had this conversation before i haven't mm. seen it no it's incredible and it takes a very fictitious story effectively the jealousy of the composer salieri like his jealousy towards mozart because mozart's this prodigy and kind of makes it about that and you know there's barely any historical accuracy to that story whatsoever but suddenly it becomes more than just, you know, ticking off boxes. As I was saying before, they just kind of make up their own story. But it's brilliant. Like, it's an amazing tale of jealousy and all that stuff. So Yeah. I like Rocket Man. I, I, I was just thinking I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing the Elvis one because it's Baz Luhrmann. I imagine it'll be super fantastical. Be and that made me... Th- say the least. Yeah, and it made me think that the... that rock. I actually really like Rocket Man. Oh. Which didn't really feel like a biopic particularly because... Although it is based on all the shit that he does, it's almost like a kind of musical. So it was a weird version mm. of it. And I think you, I think if you sort of set it up like Twenty Four Hour Party people also did by going, 
this isn't necessarily meant to be representative of this isn't like a documentary style thing i think you can kind of get away with it if you do that mm. you know yeah. have you ever seen last days no i haven't actually that's the gus van fucking thing, right? hell oh my god it's so boring <laughs> it's so boring it seems very bleak like obviously so this is so this film is it's it's based on Kurt Cobain I mean it isn't mm. meant to actually be Kurt Cobain but I think to all intents and purposes it's Kurt Cobain right mm-hmm. um and yeah it's a film about his last days what's more depressing that or downfall two films about the last days of famous 20th century people (laughs) (laughs) downfall is the last days Uh, of hitler by the way for those that aren't aware yeah uh i've never seen downfall you know you know what downfall's fantastic i mean i know it's meant to be amazing i would like to see it really good it's like schillinger's list-esque in that it's like two and a half hours and obviously it's pretty fucking depressing um but it's it's a did you did you cry when he died at the end yeah it's really upset a bit at the end really did they did like turner like turner and hooch well what 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 it does do spoil turner and hooch for everyone sorry about that (laughs) that's practically any film which has star and animal isn't it um marley and me sorry um uh he lives in canine canine the dog lives in canine Uh, that's true yeah but that's not canine and john belushi is it whatever his name is yeah it's john belushi yes yeah. i know it's john belushi but the title of the film isn't k9 and oh right Lieutenant yeah Pipsqueak yeah or whatever his name k9 is. and john belushi would be a <laughs> <That's> so, <cool. laughs> be so much better in, better in a, oh don't make me a policeman i'm john belushi <laughs> be an interesting and it's james Bel- and it's and it's James Belushi as well. It's not John Belushi. Oh, it's James Belushi. Yeah, so actually, that's why. that's why I didn't call it K9 and John Belushi. Because <laughs> John Belushi had already died sort of yes. seven years before. Yes. No, you're right. I'm sorry. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Pistol. It's, uh, it's sort of interesting, I guess. Some of the live footage actually is quite good. I think when they're playing the thing, they do look like they do look and sound like the pistols when they're playing live and stuff. They've got that kind of down pat, but you know, I don't know. Hmm. Um, but give it a little watch. It's on Disney Plus. So I have to go around my mate's house to watch it because I'm not paying for Disney Plus. Fuck you. Um, Shall we talk about the smile lighting attracting attention, which is the debut from the smile, which is the Radiohead side project is it a side pro- i mean is it is it a side project well it's a new project featuring two I mean, members of radiohead that being tom york and johnny greenwood i.e the two that everyone yes. knows also features finally drummer working tom- together <laughs> also features drummer tom skinner and it's actually called a light for attracting attention uh rather than the lightness for being in the multiplex or whatever you called it it was very similar I called it light attracting attention. Well, so I so I just missed out the a and uh, four. The four and the yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, I doubt they. I doubt they're listening. To be fair, but I um, bet they are. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they are. Um, but yeah, this is like another one of them Radiohead side projects. I mean, we have done a few of these. Like we did Suspiria, we did Tom yeah. York's um, Anima as An- well. Anima, which I thought was fucking excellent really really good yeah and they've um they've always been interesting um but this feels like the first one which has they've always been quite avant-garde i think it's fair to say even say the eraser 
which was the first Tom York one, you know, which kind of just sounded like an extension of Kid A and Amnesiac. I mean, that's a fairly basic bitch summation of it, but you know, it was definitely an interpretation of an extension of that style. Um, but you know, I mean, most of them have been very strange and very weird. This kind of feels like the most, um, easily accessible of those side projects for my money i was wondering what you felt about that um yeah i mean well could this not have just been another radio album now that's an interesting question so i think part of the reason why i say i think this is the most accessible is because it really feels like it is song based the songs do feel quite different to one another and if you go to say i don't know tomorrow's modern boxes or something like that or the 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 out you know they can all kind of slip into one a little bit i think um i you know cards on the table i really like this i like this a lot i think it's really cool i think it's um different enough to radiohead while still being very recognizably them i think if you have uh, Tom, not just Tom York on vocals, but Johnny Greenwood's his whole kind of orchestration style is all over this record, which is really great to see. I mean, at the end of the day, if you have the power to utilize that, then you should bloody utilize it. Does make it sound very Radiohead, but I don't think that's a massive problem. If this had been the new Radiohead album, I would have been slightly disappointed. And the reason why I say that is because for a Radiohead album, I think it would feel quite slight. Well, there's a short record, it's 53 minutes or so. But I think the song, I, I think from Radiohead, I expect now something a little bit um, more, something a little bit more to dig into. And this feels more surface, I suppose. But as it isn't a Radiohead album, that doesn't bother me. So that's the only thing I would say to that. I don't disagree with you entirely, because certainly in terms of all the side projects that they've done, I think this is the closest to Radiohead. It's almost like a weird hybrid of the Benz and In Rainbows, I think. It takes like the song structures of the Benz and puts a bit of a In Rainbows style experimentation in with it. And voila, you more or less have the smile. But that sounds good to me and so it proves mm, yeah that yeah you're right i mean it's not I, I like it as well i think the thing that there's there's a lot of stuff here that i think when i was listening to it i was like i don't think this is good but i do think there's a lot of stuff here that was sort of stylistically similar to the sort of stuff that i liked on a moonshape pool mm. right mm-hmm. where it went a little bit more guitar you heard the guitars a little bit more i think this is kind of um clearly a lot more sort of guitar and uh, analog instrument based than maybe radiohead had become in that kind of second or second and third thirds of their career i think that's why and, i chuck in the bends i think that's where yeah. i get that from yeah yeah and I, and I think that's i think that's cool like you know, you'll never work in television again. Is an actual garage rock song. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Thin thing has like a Queens of Stone Age riff to it as well. But then you get stuff like Panavision, which I reminded me uh. of Py- Pyramid Song or um, Rabbit in Your Headlights by Uncle 
Yes. Those kind of things. Sort of. So there's a, plenty of cool piano parts on it as well. Yeah, strange, slinky. I get, that song comes on, the Panavision song, and I kind of imagine walking into a smoky jazz club. You know, like there's a really strange, sinister edge to it. It's like you can imagine it uh, soundtracking the femme fatale scene in a film noir or something like that, you know. Yeah, I I do. I, I mean, I like this record. I kind of, it's one of those, isn't it, when you think that it's basically half of Radiohead and it's kind of the most well-known creative part of Radiohead yeah. or the most, certainly the most well-known and yeah. probably the most known for being creative as well. Tom York's solo stuff, Johnny Greenwood's scores and stuff that he makes. So you're looking at the kind of the, the money in Radiohead, right? The kind of the, the main dudes in the band. Yeah. And you're getting something which, like you said, I think is broadly similar to what they usually do or have done. And it sounds like them working together, but yet it's not quite as intense an undertaking as the thing that they usually do. This has been out for a couple of weeks now and we've, you know, I think we would have done it last week, but obviously Renfrew wasn't here and we kind of wanted to save it for when you were back. Um, so I've listened to it a fair bit, but it is one of those ones where I think, will I prioritise this over going back to the other material? Like Anima, I actually do find myself listening to quite a lot because it's like, well, there's nothing else from Tom York's back catalogue that really... It's quite like that. Smashes, like, does that little thing. It's got a lovely yeah. little kind of jigsaw piece that can fit in somewhere. Whereas this, I'm not sure necessarily that it does. It doesn't make it a bad album. Mm. It's a good album, in fact. I think it is actually a good album, but Radiohead have broadly speaking done this much better many times throughout their career right um uh, the individual elements i would agree uh i don't think they've done it with this mix before but yes i do understand what you're saying there is even the best songs on it kind of make you go oh this is like a version of well you just said pyramid song for was panavision wasn't it and yeah mm -hmm. i absolutely see that i wrote that down in my notes and there probably there might be an element for some people which is like why aren't i just listening to pyramid song though um having said that there'll be also a lot of people who just want to grab as much material from tom york and johnny greenwood as possible and i can completely understand that because i think they're two yeah. of the most talented musicians working today so um I mean, certainly, even Tom Skinner's drumming feels really Philip Selway. I, I'm pretty sure they both they have a both have mm. a very light and breezy, almost jazzy style. So it, yeah, there's certainly an awful lot of. Um, I, I don't know how you could do a review of this album without mentioning radio. <laughs> it would be insane, wouldn't it? But um, yeah. But but it is very good, and I think every single time Johnny Greenwood's what I'm just going to broadly call orchestral flourishes come in. It's just amazing. Like it always lifts the songs to an incredible level. And there's a few moments where that happens. I think it's a 14 track record. There's maybe five or six, which use that sort of swell of orchestral stuff, whether it be flutes or horns or strings or whatever it is. And it's all done to the expert quality that you would expect from Johnny Greenwood now you know yeah i mean look this is a good album this it is a good album um i think a lot of people like it or have sort of connected with it a lot more than me i mean again i asked people on twitter what they thought uh, andy touch said the smile is easily top five of the year for me mm. 
I'm curious as to why it's not a Radiohead LP, as it has similar continuing threads from uh, The King of Limbs and um, AMSP, which would be... What the fuck? Why can't I remember what that, that is now? AMSP? A Moonshaped Pool. Uh, a Moonshaped Pool, yeah. Uh, yeah. I hate fucking those anyway is it because i've already said a moon shape pool idiot is it because tom and johnny wanted to put this material out with less eye straight pressure of a rh i'm assuming that's radiohead release uh also also worth noting that skirting on surface has been stewing for a while played with tom's other band atoms for peace in 2009 and then with radiohead in 2012 so you know again this feels like a kind of big amalgam of stuff mm-hmm. um george jackson said i'm going to see the smile tonight i think the record is great but it's also exactly what you'd expect from tom and johnny working together sounds like radiohead and michael collins said smile album is fantastic up there with the very best of the year for my money they were definitely great they were, they were brilliant live the other night definitely catch them if you can i mean i would like to i would definitely go and watch this live oh absolutely absolutely yeah i would i think it is good and the whole thing of you know could it be a radiohead album yeah you know you're right i guess it could it could i mean i think the things i think anything they do could be a radiohead album i guess that's the sort of odd thing about it is they have so few boundaries they have so few limitations as a band that if 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 tom york's last album had been put out if the suspiria soundtrack had been put out as a radiohead album Mm. you might not think it is as good as certain other old radiohead albums or whatever but you wouldn't go, well, I never saw this coming, because what would you ever have seen coming from Yeah, that? absolutely. You know, I do think that this could have been put out as a Radiohead album. I don't know how the other three members of the band would have felt about that, but in theory it could have. But I will say I'm glad it wasn't, because um, like one of our listeners said there, the expectations for a Radiohead album are very, very different to the expectations from a sort of side project of Radiohead. And my expectations going to this were... I mean, I was excited to hear it, but I wasn't like like I would be for a new Radiohead album. Nowhere near. And I think, consequently, yeah. I ended up really enjoying it. But if it had been the new Radiohead album, I think I would have been really fastidious, fastidious with it and, like, tearing it apart. You know, like, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I would have enjoyed it the way that I did if it had been the new Radiohead album, which is obviously something that I bring to it. But I imagine most Radiohead fans probably feel the same, I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, I think, put it this way, it wouldn't have taken us three weeks to review it if it had been a new radio album. <laughs> we would have cleared our uh, schedules. Yeah. Uh, also, I should say, Tom Skinner, who you mentioned, is the drummer in Sons of Kemet. Who, oh, no uh, way. We have been very nice about. So, yeah, that's cool. Oh, well, cool that jazzy, see. those jazzy inflections really make sense then, don't they? That's awesome. Cool. Mm, yeah, so there you go. A light for attracting attention by the smile. It's been out a while now, so you have probably to be fair probably already heard it if you're interested in it ditto maybe this actually came out last week so everything everything it's um raw data fill the sixth studio album from the uk art rock band follow-up to their 2020 album reanimator which we reviewed when it came out i was sort of ho-hum on that because i know a lot of people fucking love everything everything yeah but and i've heard bits and bobs of theirs which i was sort of which i quite liked but I felt like I wanted more from Reanimator. I kind of wanted more, more bangers, really. And here we are, more bangers. Thanks very much, guys. Much appreciated. Um, that's kind of broadly speaking, what I appear to have got here. More bangers, isn't it? Really. I mean, the opening song, Teletype, just goes fucking straight in. Mad for it. Massive beat. Loads of cool synthy stuff. Big hook. 
this is what in my head I thought everything everything kind of were so cheers for that lads and that bass on I Want a Love Like This the next track is pure Depeche Mode again absolute banger Bad Friday layered vocal parts it was a Friday night it was a Saturday night that kind of trade off that vocal part club ready banger this is a banger of a record mm. really good it's a rock band making an electronic dance album isn't it which is probably broadly mm-hmm. what you could say of everything 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 i've done um this has got a very good score metacritic it's um their most uh well-reviewed album according to metacritic alongside the last album reanimator 84 out of 100 i'm i mean like you said we had a bunch of people get in contact last time we reviewed everything everything saying that like they loved 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 their early material i think arc was the album that came up the most probably uh still haven't gone back to them nope sorry i'm rubbish uh do intend to at some point but i haven't there's a really interesting thing with this record um jonathan higgs the vocalist deployed an ai to assist him coming up with lyrics which seems to be quite an interesting approach for a band like everything everything it's potentially created some quite interesting Lyrics, I would say. Uh, he's a barber in the streets, but he thinks he's a summer in the sheets, being one such <laughs> yeah. example from Shark Week. Or mm-hmm. into the hoodoo mole, you take the aerosol, here where the lamprey lies, it ate a lot of French fries. Um, They sound yeah. really stupid when you read them off like that. But actually, I have to say, with everything, everything's style and the danceable kind of they're not looking to change the world with their lyrics they're looking to create hooks that you can you know that bury deep under your skin and that you can dance your tits off to and actually as silly as some of these lyrics are and i and i believe purposefully uh they really work for for those kind of hooks so this is an album that i really admire i think when teletype came in i mean i said it sounded like a latter-day radiohead maybe that's because i was listening to smile a lot gone to ibiza and that's Mm. effectively what it is isn't it it's quite it's a fairly sort of not to put down the genre entirely but smart electronic dance album isn't it really i guess yeah it is and i think that that's all well and good, but you've got to make sure that you write big-ass fucking killer tunes to go with it. Because mm. being smart, like, I mean, I think um, Hot Chip were a band who I think kind of tried to do a similar type of thing, yes. right? Now, I never really, aside from a couple of songs by Hot Chip, I never really thought that they were particularly great songwriters. Do you know what I mean? Like, they've got a few, I think... Um, one Life Stands, quite a good song. And obviously Over and Over is very catchy, although it's a bit annoying, to be honest. Um, but I never thought that Hot Chip were particularly good songwriters, but they were doing that kind of, well, what you just said, like, oh, let's be kind of the yeah. thinking person's yeah. electronic dance rock band. Yeah. Um, whereas LCD Sound System had bigger tunes, but probably weren't as sort of cutting edge or trying to be as you know intelligent really but we're much better for it i think everything everything get that uh get that balance pretty much spot on on this record because it is quite a you know you know it is quite an oblique sounding record at points it's quite an, an odd artsy sounding record but 
so much of it is just massive sounding mm. i mean somebody sent us again we got a tweet from somebody let me find it um theo spencer said everything everything feels front-loaded to me first five or six songs are bangers but it's the first of their records that hasn't been an immediate hit all round. sure i'll grow into it though i have to say when you get to the end and you know i kind of listened to it again before we started with that in mind you get a song like cut up mm. which i just think is fucking amazing um i really i i don't i don't feel the kind of i i think in terms of front loading it with bangers the opening for a massive absolutely massive and i think it does take a slightly different turn around the middle you know like leviathan it's a bit different yeah but then you get like back to shark week and cut up just big big songs like everything here feels really big and really deliberately instantaneous and uh i didn't get that as much on the last album i have to say so i think it's i definitely prefer this to the last record yeah i can understand why someone would say that it starts with a load of bangers and then trails off but that's not my experience with it at all i actually think the record generally gets better as it goes on having said that that's probably just down to my taste because the more bangery material is cool but it's not what i really like this record for um very occasionally the bangery material does sort of uh slide over into slight irritation for me um oh, you're God. talking <laughs> you're talking about um damn what was the song you were talking about bad friday and i think the hook for bad friday is a great hook but i think it is right on the edge of being either irritating or just a brilliant brilliant hook and i think depending on what you come to it with will depend on what side of that you fall down on um but generally i think it's like a really well i don't feel like it's for me it's a really cool idea to take that kind of dance club anthems ministry of sound type thing almost and just turn it into a really interesting math rock record i mean it's not math rock in the sense that the most math of math bands are but you know it's certainly a little bit different and a little bit left of center for a lot of the bands that everything everything will be playing with and i just think that's a cool idea like it's really cool yeah it is yeah i like this i like this record i mean i have to say it's um probably the first time i've not really dug deep enough back into their back catalogue to be able to generally genuinely sorry say that i know exactly what their best and worst and blah 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 albums are and after reanimator i wasn't particularly inspired to do that and i was a little bit disappointed that i i didn't feel that after reanimator and hence why i think when this came along at first we were like do we listen to it do we bother with it it?" and kind of one listen in i was like oh yeah absolutely we do I think this is really good. Cool. Really, really good. I like it a lot. Uh, Raw Data Feel is out now. Go and listen to it. We also would have covered this last week. And I'm, you know, but uh, it came out last week. But um, obviously, Renfrey wasn't here. And I think kind of we both want to talk about it. Just Mustard, Underheart, the second album from the Irish post punk rockers. <laughs> I don't know if they'll like that description particularly, but. I can see, I can see where you're right. coming from. Yeah, I don't think yeah. that's the whole story, but I see where you're coming from, definitely. Mm. 
So it's a follow-up to the 2018 debut album, Wednesday. Uh, I have to say, I wasn't familiar with this band prior to getting this record, but it is exactly the sort of thing that we should be bringing in and championing as an album, I think, because just so we're really clear, I think this record, for me, this is definitely the best record we're going to be talking about this week. Definitely, without even a moment's hesitation, it is comfortably the best record we're going to be talking about this week. I think it's absolutely fucking great, this record. Oh, wicked. I'm so pleased you think that. Um, It is definitely my favourite record of the week. I don't think I feel it as strongly as you do. It's a bit of a surprise, but that's cool. It's a nice surprise because I really like the smile as well. Um, But this is an awesome record. Just Mustard. What do I know about Just Mustard? Um, Vlad from Small Pond introduced me to Just Mustard. Um, As he does from time to time, we start chatting music. And um, he was like, you've got to check out this Just Mustard band. They're incredible. And I think they had just released Wednesday. Um and i just thought like i couldn't put my finger on exactly what they were i think the post-punk stuff that you were saying is is yeah part of the story but not the entire thing there's also lots of like i think there's quite a fair bit of sort of shoegaze in there there's some chelsea wolf-esque kind of uh eclectic ethereal vocals 23 the first song on the record sounds like this very cool ethereal cigar roast thing but over a trip-hop style beat and then those floaty Chelsea Wolf-esque vocals come in. It's fucking great. It's brilliant. It feels really heavy, this album, but not strictly in a sonic way. It's more down to how dark the music is. So still, mm. for example, showcases that brilliantly. There's this it's almost like melodic foghorn that intones itself throughout the song in an almost Nine Inch Nails style industrial beat it's awesome it's so cool it feels really left of center it feels really like they're thinking outside the box i love this record i'm really pleased you do too i think it's absolutely brilliant this record absolutely brilliant and i would fully echo um what you're saying about the heaviness of it I mean, it does have a bit of that kind of post-punk shoegaze indie thing to it. It does, yeah. And Chelsea Wolfe is definitely like a a great shout, I think. Even Oathbreaker, like they're more cerebral, I think, in parts. But it's never as sonically extreme as those bands. It is more like maybe, we talked about Third by Portershead in a Writers Review recently. And it's got that almost like modern horror soundtrack feel to it but done see when i say post-punk i mean it's not like for me it's not anything like when we talk about idols and we talk about squids and we talk about black midi and those kind of bands this is much more down the that new fontaine's dc album stroke black country new road but it's not really like that either there are kind of i think there are there are elements of the sort of i guess the exploration of dark sonic passages that they are sort of aiming toward and it like because it doesn't feel like a rock album do you know what i mean mm. i think sometimes when you get these artists uh, that we've spoken about and they go oh they're a bit sort of influenced by shoegaze or whatever and they tend to be the kind of artists that you could see getting covered by metal hammer mm-hmm. 
but I don't think I don't think Just Mustard would fit in that at all. They do feel much more like a kind of in, indie rock band to me, but they're just an incredibly dark sounding, very heavy one. Maybe a more sort of PJ Harvey esque kind of thing. Yeah, I think yeah. kind of PJ Harvey, Porter's Head, The Cure, and those kind of artists are definitely, you know, are, are definitely the 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 sort of I guess the the one to go for. I think um, Porter's Head is particularly good, and I feel a bit silly for not thinking of that. And um, even more specifically, yeah, that third record, maybe even with a little bit of the self-titled chucked in as well. Um, but like, this is just extraordinary, isn't it? This is just like a wicked, wicked record. Um, yeah, it's it's really good. Fant- it's fantastically bleak sounding whilst never really kind of screaming at you and it's really managed to tap into the sort of the darkest sort of most gothic shit it can be quite harsh sounding but it also sounds really glacial and lovely as well and it never really feels like again you know it can sound it sounds heavy without really having anything to do with hard rock or metal or punk or anything like that it's yeah, I do feel like they're almost an indie band, but they're so much bleaker and heavier than any indie band that we've covered on the show, maybe ever. Mm. Here's a little peek behind the curtain. The person who I am staying with currently, our very good friend, Emma Van Dyce. You might hear from more from her another time. Um, this is the only album that she... I'm staying with her at the moment. This is the only album that she asked me to turn down that I was listening to this week at any point. <laughs> so if you're kind really? of thinking, oh God, it's not going to be heavy or anything. You know, I mean, this this is this is the woman who used to do press for Dillinger Escape Plan. You know, like it's, it's pretty intense <laughs> when it wants to be. Um, but it does it in... I mean, Blue Chalk is a really good example, I think, of them taking things down a notch or two but the menace not really going anywhere it's a really stalking kind of song um and i think to make music with that well we talked about the manchester orchestra didn't we to have the same intensity but with less volume almost i think records like that are really special and really hard to make i think they're hard to make because you don't see very many of them (laughs) um it's true so Yeah, yeah 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 very very good record really really very good record like for me um i'm thinking in definitely in the in the mix for a list coming into the year could well be this is yeah 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 there's one more thing i'll say on it in shade does what that everything everything record is trying to do i have like a really dancey kind of a dancey song done by a kind of quote-unquote rock band but it feels like an absolute club floor banger. And I honestly think In Shade is better than every single song on the Everything Everything album. I think uh, this album, the album as a whole is not trying to do the same thing at all. But that song, yeah, it does it better than Everything Everything, in my opinion, which Mm. is high praise. Yeah. Listener, I don't know what he's talking about but um <laughs> <Rome free. laughs> that's a pop banger in it pop banger on this really fucking uh, dark club floor banger i i i, yeah. I said there, there is the the main hook for that is like 
yeah club four party anthem it's like the second to last track it's excellent it's one of the best songs on the record it's fucking great oh yeah it's a great song great song anyway it's under heart is the name of the record and the band are called just mustard it's called heart go under. and listen to them <laughs> what it's called heart under. is it called heart Oh, is it actually? Yeah, it's not called under. Oh uh, yeah, what? Why the fuck? That's a weird Don't way know. to put it around, isn't it? Wow, you know. Anyway, the artistic. So don't get this. They are, yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, uh, Porridge Radio. We want to talk about as well. So this album is called. I'm probably see if I get this right. Water slide, diving board, ladder to the sky. That is correct. Yes. The hardest one, and I uh, wrote it down right. Good. Uh, the third full-length album from the Brighton-based indie band who we reviewed. Um, oh, God, it's two years ago now, I reckon. Uh, we reviewed their last album, Every Bad, and we were very keen on it. Or fa- fairly keen on it, I think. I, we were pretty keen on it. I loved that You record. liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you liked it a lot, didn't you? I yeah, really... I liked it as well. I really, really enjoyed um, Every Day. I thought it was a great record and it's one of the albums that I went back to quite a few times um, and I found much more in it the more I delved into it. Um, And there's just something about the way that they write songs, which is just, just gets straight to the heart of the matter, I think. Sometimes with just a few phrases. I mean, it kind of this band hadn't come up for me when I was listening to every bad because I hadn't heard them at that time but listening to this now I couldn't help but think that this isn't really a million miles away from wet leg in its sort of yeah I thought that anthemic indie anthem style it's um it's heavier than wet leg and I mean that thematically more than musically wet leg are much poppier yeah 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 I, I, I mean yes I would agree I would also say, by the same token, I feel like Wet Leg are a bit more, well, like I said on the on the review, a bit more throwaway. I mean, I suppose that's just a glass half full, glass half empty, looking at it, poppier or more throwaway. But certainly it felt like there was, I mean, it's a similar approach, you know, lo-fi sensibility, emotional indie rock, you know, it's absolutely the same approach. It's just more serious. This is this is definitely more serious than Wet Leg, isn't it? Really? Yeah. 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 You could put Wet Leg on a, at a party, and you, you wouldn't want to put this on. <laughs> God, you put that be awful. No. If you put this on at a party, then fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> fuck. You. I mean, I, I, this feels much more rawer in parts yeah. than I think the first album did. I mean, you know, I, I think the last album was like very low fi I think the difference between a band like Porridge Radio and Wet Legs, it's funny because I've been going to bring Wet Leg up, is that Wet Leg are aiming for, you know, mass acceptance by the by the sounds of things. I think they're going for the kind of the the big the big song. They are going for, like you say, the big the big party song. I don't really think Porridge Radio are. And I think there's certainly bits on on every bad. I think every bad had definitely had like really well written songs, but Nothing that you would call a kind of anthemic, floor fillery kind of song. Mm. And I think actually this album, I wondered if this would see them kind of ditch that more lo-fi aesthetic and that more kind of measured approach and do something a bit more um, instantaneous. And they haven't really done that at all. In fact, they've kind of gone rawer, I think, on or certainly angrier on you know on on lots of the album not all of it you know i think um 
when you get to a song like Rotten, which is much nicer and bigger, and there's a song called You Can Be Happy If You Want To, which I think is fucking brilliant. Yeah, it's got loads of organ on it. It's got yeah. a real kind of 60s sound to it. And it's like like the birds or something. And it's it's really great. Yeah. It's really good. The but there is definitely... Yeah, it's so good. and that, But there is still, um, you know, there is still a bit of, yeah, like, a, I would say more grit on it than, that even than there was on the last record, personally. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, but I kind of like that, you know, I suppose that's more my kind of thing. And I, I think I've, this feels like a follow-up, which is different from every day, but still very much them um it's almost a sort of blue album to pinkerton kind of step do you know what i mean it is a bit yeah it flowers is just this beautiful piano ballad and there's a few times when they utilize dual vocals of uh, dana margolin and maddie ryle which works really nicely um it works nicely every time but particularly on that flowers song like there's these very dreamy guitar lines some of those lines remind me of something like a explosions in the sky would do or something like that i think there are hooks on this record there's quite a few kind of phrases which are repeated over and over again which kind of become the hook and kind of the more they're repeated the angrier they get kind of thing um with them i think in a lot of cases it's very wistful i mean even just the title water slide diving board ladder to the sky reminds me of the kind of title that i don't know the promise ring would have for a record or something like that there's that very kind of poetical sense to it but i really like it i think this is a really good follow-up because you know to take a cliche it's the same but different um which is kind of what follow-ups sort of should be isn't it but that's harder to do than it sounds but i think this does it really well yeah, I do. I um, I have to say, like for me, I probably I like. I mean, there's one. What's the song? There's a one where he like you say there's a refrain that she sort of screams over and over again. And at first, the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this as much. But then the second time, I was like, no, actually, this is really really cool. And they're obviously just doing whatever the fuck that they want to do. Uh, and yeah, like you know, I, I personally like. I I think the. The more Weezery, like if we're going to go for the Weezerisms, I think the kind of the Get You and the um, Pink Triangle esque songs on it are better than the. Actually, there's probably nothing on Pinkerton that is as harsh as the harshest stuff on this record. No, not quite. So I don't even know if I have a reference point for that. But I do think, like for me personally, I do slightly prefer the ones that are more kind of. I guess pretty sounding. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing on... Like, it, it's a good record, this. There's nothing on here which is... Which feels like an obvious standout single. You know, there's nothing that feels like an obvious standout. I, I think it's quite a good... It starts in a place, it gets quite angry, it sort of calms down again, it gets a bit miserable, and then it sort of ends, you know? Um, so it's quite a good journey. And I think I think it is probably better in completion rather than in isolation yeah. i don't think you'd want to pick anything out from it and go because i think you pick one song out of it and it could all come tumbling down yeah so in that sense it's very much a a, a cohesive album yeah I guess. yeah but yeah i mean I, that that isn't necessarily a bad thing it's a pain in the ass for radio pluggers um but i don't think when you take the album as a whole that's necessarily a uh negative no i don't 
Oh, excuse me. All right, mate. Sorry, mate. Oh, dear. Well, that's a massive yawn. <laughs> he only said one sentence. And I'm like, oh, Manfred, the most boring man alive. <laughs> you're not, mate. No, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I think, you know, I would rather have a full album of uh, of good shit than just like a couple of decent yeah, singles, of obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and that's what this is. Waterside Diving Board, Lad of the Sky by Porridge Radio is out now. And I saw them last week, Casket Feeder, Servants on Violence. I wanted to mention this um, very, very briefly because it's the debut album from the MK crew who I saw at the launch for this album at the Black Heart last week. Uh, they were one of the first bands we reviewed on this podcast, their EP. We did it on episode one. I think. Oh, wow. And we picked some new bands to sort of bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And uh, that EP was excellent. We both are really, really keen on it. And they finally got their first full-length album out. Can they do a full record of it? I think, broadly speaking, I think, yes, they can, Renfrey. (laughs) They were very good live. They were fun live. You know what I mean? I think a band who were essentially like a hardcore, like hardcore kids playing modern death metal with that kind of entombed chainsaw sound, but with big grins on their faces, that's always going to smack of the Black Dahlia murder to me, you know? And obviously, after the last couple of years, there is a big entombed and Black Dahlia murder-shaped hole in the metal landscape that needs to be filled. And I think Casket Feeder have got the shit that could kind of fill either of those holes rather well um the singer said uh at one point <laughs> this is a song about having 18 liters of coffee pumped up your ass yeah <laughs> which i thought was a lovely little nod to knowing about Richard Blackwood. And if you don't know what we're talking about, you should be listening to bloody Broken Records. You should listen to the Richard Blackwood episode of Broken Records, which is probably our our Mona Lisa, isn't it, really? Our, <laughs> I think they sent us a message. Our high well watermark. About that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, it was uh, it was good. They were really good live. Like they, and they are just fucking... They do that Black Dahlia Murder entombed death metal thing, but with big old hardcore crunch like some sort of death wish band do you know what last week we did the malevolence album and i was like i wasn't you know i put it on out of curiosity i wasn't really expecting to like it that much and i found myself really liking it i was like oh this is actually really really good and maybe it's because i don't listen to loads of metal i sort of said again i sort of said this last week if you weren't listening um to paraphrase myself i don't listen to loads of metal and therefore, um, when I do, now, I either go, oh, I've heard this loads of times before, fucking whatever, or something about it makes me go, God, this is really good. Oh, yeah, this is sort of reminding me why I like this type of music. The Casket Feeder, I actually think, I kind of wish we'd done that record when it first came out last week, because I think this album is better than the Malevolence album. And I did like the Malevolence album. But... If I were to pick one of the two, I think Servants of Violence is better than the new Malevolence album, personally. Mm. Okay. Uh, I've not heard the Malevolence album, so I cannot comment on that. But um, certainly, I mean, for a debut record, those um, Black Dahlia murder comparisons, I think, are pretty apt. And it is very, like, it's very, very well accomplished, this album. 
um, especially for a debut release. I kind of felt like there probably could have been a little bit of room for a little bit more variety, but then I feel that way about Black Dahlia Murder as well. So, you know, if it's sort of going for that sort of thing, then that kind of makes sense that I wouldn't find it as varied as it maybe should be. There's a couple of bits. There's a really epic sounding intro to that song, Tyranny Begins, uh, which is quite cool, almost black metal-y. Title, yeah, track it's, great. title track itself is pretty fast and filthy and furious. Like, that's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I like I like the album. I think it's decent. Um, but as a live proposition, like even better than the record, I'm assuming, or different, or yeah, I think that you know they are what you want one of these bands to be, right? Mm. Like when you go and see a metal band who do this, you want them to kind of be gleefully, willfully, antagonistically loud, and they are that. Um, they didn't kind of resort to you know, po-faced, you know, brute behavior, which I don't, you know, that whole like, oh, fucking move, I fuck you up. I like, I find that really quite exhausting now. A lot of that kind of like, off, off, you know, kick yourself in the face, beat each other up yeah. sort of shit. Like, um, I'm not, I'm not really that bothered by that. And they didn't really do that. They, they, they were kind of like, they were headbanging and they were grinning and they looked like they were having a good time. Mm. And everything was done with a, a measure of just like, these are just guys who stepped on stage who really like, you know, aborted and converge and obituary and, and entombed and all those things that I think are cool and are playing their kind of version of it, are kind of gleefully playing their version of it and want to be as kind of loud and heavy and nasty as all of their influences. And... You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, they're as good as a victory or converge at the moment at all. But I do think, you know, all of the elements for Casket Feeder are definitely in place to make them. I mean, like I say, you know, the, the, the world has suddenly gone mad for malevolence. Uh, maybe off the back of, you know, I mean, Sam said last week he thought it was their worst album. Still decent. Mm. But, you know, I think. You know, for me, I I think this is a is a better record, and I think there's that you know there's a there's a there is an opening in in this sort of sphere at the moment for you know another great kind of extreme British band, and I don't really see why Casket Feeder couldn't be that band. You know, mm-hmm. them and Venom Prison on tour together would be something which would I think would be genuinely very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are good, you know, they're good and they're good fun. And they're, you know, there's the another sort of really good young British metal band, I think. And I don't really say that very much. So mm. it feels like I've said the same thing twice, two weeks running. Two weeks running, unbelievable. About, you know, loud guitars and stuff. <laughs> but I'm glad, you know, I am glad. I mean, like, sort of. When I look at my list of my favourite albums of the year so far, no metal on it at all. Mm. You know, no, like practically none. Do you count Soul Glow as metal? I mean, no, you don't. Not <laughs> can't count Soul. Not you can't like Vane. Mm. I think Vane. Vane FM. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. I guess so. It's not been. Uh, I, I'm not particularly inspired or excited by heavy. As I was saying last week by heavy music but then when something like this comes along 
and I put it on. I mean, the production on it's massive. Like, the production album sounds sounds vicious, vicious sounding record. Like really, really cool. If you like death metal, if you like kind of, you know, particularly that entombedy death metal mixed with a sort of hardcore D beat thing, like crusty yeah. and fucking gnarly. Like it's this Swedish is really good. Death metal thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it's really cool. Yeah, yeah I, I like him. I like it. I think it's decent. Mm. Mm. Good. Anyway, there you go. Servants of Violence is out now, and go and see them live if you get a chance. Uh, Renfrey, did you see Glassjaw once or twice? I saw them twice. Did you? Mm. Do you want to tell everybody what happened? So, those of you who have heard our specials on everything you ever want to know about silence and worship and tribute over on the Patreon page will know that... I really love Glassjaw. I absolutely adore that band for better and for worse. I feel like for better and for worse is needed with a band like Glassjaw. Because uh, sometimes it's a bit difficult being a Glassjaw fan, having to wait many, many years for a record. And um, there have been, uh, I think the live shows have been very up and down over the years. But these shows were particularly exciting because they were playing those two albums, Everything Everyone Wants to Know About Silence and Wish Been Tribute in full and so there were a lot of Glassjaw fans that were very excited you know I saw people coming from like LA and various places of Europe and stuff even though they played played they didn't play Europe but they did uh they definitely played LA but people just wanted to see the show as many times as they possibly could I think particularly the or rather I was expecting the everything you ever want to know about silence show being the real hot ticket simply because they don't play that material very often live anymore and we've been into sort of potentially the reasons why that might be again i would check out the classic album special on that but they do not play that material steve when you go to see glassdoor these days how many songs do you expect to see from everything you ever wanted to know about silence one mm-hmm like, yeah, one, maybe t- one of two. Yes, I would say you're lucky if you get two. And occasionally you do get two, but but you're lucky if you get two. Most of the time you just get one. Most of the time you either get Pretty Lush or Siberian Kiss. And the rest of that album, astonishing. But what was a bit weird, Worship and Tribute Night was way busier than the Everything Everyone Said About Silence Night, which I, I was surprised at purely because i guess thinking of it from my opinion i was really excited for the worship and tribute night don't get me wrong but i've seen all of those songs live at some point already um but hey i guess i guess this is like the you know have metallica fans vote for their set list and still end up choosing (laughs) fucking enter sandman and seek and destroy what the fuck is wrong with you but hey yeah not to diss those people but yeah but that was that was interesting and I will say... What- that is interesting. I mean, I never even would have... Like, there was absolutely... I mean, we'll talk about where I was on the night that Glassdoor did Worship and Tribute in full, but I never even would have considered going to the Worship and Tribute night. If I was going to go, it would have it would have had to have been... And the reason I didn't go, annoying, like, I would have actually really liked to have gone to the Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silent yeah. show uh, because I do... That is probably... Well, it is my favourite Glassdoor album... I was free that night. I had been to see Casket Feeder the night before and I was going to Pet Shop Boys the next night. So I was like, I can't, I just can't. I had too much shit to be going on with. So I was kind of gutted to miss it. But yeah, like they play all the stuff from Worship and Tribute 
all the time anyway. That's their whole set. Yeah. Practically. Often. Yeah. I mean, obviously you get material control thrown stuff thrown in as well and a few things thrown in from the eps but i i would say even now the bulk of their set is usually made up of worship and tribute so i was looking forward to the everything you ever wanted to know about silence night more um i have to admit i mean minor spoiler in the end i i ended up enjoying the worship and tribute night more than the everything you ever wanted to know about silence night but i think that's probably more down to sort of sound problems and i'm i'm aware that the band both bands actually because i want to talk about loathe in a minute um had sound issues on that first night uh, and it just felt a little bit more um not not quite 100 percent there that said being able to see things like rai rai song live and love bites and razor lines and piano again and her middle name is boom motel of the white locust the title track i'm naming all of the songs practically i mean it was absolutely amazing and the sing-alongs for both of these shows were just outrageous it seemed that every single person knew every single word as soon as the show started for everything you ever wanted to know about silence even though you know the forum wasn't full it wasn't like an embarrassing show of people or anything like that but there was a bit of space around you it felt like a Mm. full show the moment glassjaw started playing um and it was it was very 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 good um i did however prefer the worship and tribute night i'll very quickly talk about loathe i think loathe had a better second night than first night really good set i mean we talked about them quite a bit i think in terms of the british bands who have the most chance of doing something big could loathe be in the you know in the in the conversations for like festival headliners in 10 years if they keep going the way that they are yes absolutely i think because they have the look i I think the big thing that they have is that image and that look which most of the british bands don't have but they have a very perceptibly clear look we talked about the you know if you saw them as a silhouette you'd know who it is kind of thing and i can't really think of an single other british band who does that even the big hitters like our big hitters are like enter shikari and twin atlantic and you know they don't have like that character and that personality almost but loathe really do and i think that will you know on top of the fact that the songs are actually very good as well and they're very broad and they're very interesting i think that's gonna put them in really good stead just the fact that they got these shows is like a huge thing um they've just got back off the road with code orange in america i mean if we're talking about bands that it's going to happen to in you know 10 years time loathe wouldn't be a terrible one to put your money on i don't think. definitely not no 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 i, I don't, don't think, think so um and they were excellent they were really fantastic um especially on that second night a few sound issues on the first night but you know nothing nothing that was the band's fault um but yeah particularly on that second night i think they did a really 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 good job but then glassjaw worship and tribute was just sublime i mean that album i just feel like it's there are a few people who were saying it's like the ultimate post-hardcore album and i kind of find it difficult to to disagree with that i mean i guess i guess i have a certain bias because i absolutely adore that band but I can't think of a more creative and a more cohesive and a more varied 
uh, post-hardcore record than Worship and Tribute. It's definitely like... Relationship of Command? I mean, Relationship of Command feels like even more of its own kind of thing. Um, obviously, Relationship of Command is a post-hardcore record, but there's even more going on on it arguably it's definitely i mean certainly those two are a kind of an island to of you know two and of themselves yeah. you know i know you prefer relationship of command i prefer worship and tribute they're both outstanding they're both 10 out of 10 records they're both five out of five whatever plaudits you want to throw at them they're both incredible and the reason they're both incredible is because they don't sound like anything else um partic- i mean particularly relationship of command i'll give you but but even worship and tribute they were doing stuff that you know their peers couldn't get anywhere near and hearing all of that material it really it really hit home what an excellent record it is still not totally convinced by album shows because um i will say when they did the encores so the first night they encored with our color green the our color green ep in full which people seemed as excited about as everything you ever want to know about silence to be honest and it was awesome i know you're not a massive fan of that ep but i was watching it in full live on friday night i was like i don't understand why you're not into this ep it's amazing i, I think it's by far like my favorite material they've done in the last sort of 15 years or so um and then the second night they encored with like five songs from material control and actually i really as soon as the set as soon as it wasn't obvious what was going to be played next in the set i could find myself being in the present a little bit more because rather than going oh radio cambodia's next that'll be fun and then it comes in you know it's just nice that element of surprise i just think i think it really um it shows you how important it is when you don't, when that element of surprise is taken away from you, I think. But, you know, that's more of an issue with album shows generally than it is, you know, this these particular shows. Because if there's any albums that I'd, I would want to see live in full, uh, everything everyone wants to know about Silence and Worship and Tribute would probably be too very high up on the list. So they, it was it was awesome. And I think they were on really good form uh, because I know sometimes in the past you sort of suggested that live they're just not well, i think you blankly said live they're not very a very good live band um no and there are times I, 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 they, yeah i mean it, it's got to the point where it's i mean that was the other thing as well it was like well i've seen them so many times now and i've seen them be good like twice out of the like eight nine times i've seen them right. so I'm i'm losing i'm losing sort of the want to go and see Glass Jurors just diminished to the point of like, oh, well, I've seen them now. Do you know what I mean? I think I would have liked to have seen everything everyone want to know about Silence in full. I would, that, that, I would like to see them. But broadly speaking, if Glass Jaw come over again, I would, I just wouldn't be interested in seeing right, them doing okay. normal show. Okay. I mean, obviously, I feel very different to that. But um, I, th- I think the second night in particular, I think it would have been very difficult to fault like them performance wise um it feels like it's mentioned every single time people talk about glass jaw these days but the rhythm section is just unbelievable you know some of the parts like they've changed quite a few of the drum parts and the bass parts but the new parts that they're doing particularly on the everything everyone to know about silent songs actually are just like awesome really off kilter strange beats and stuff i'm really glad they did that i think that was a really cool thing 
um but yeah i mean i had an absolute blast and so did everyone there like i think the youngest person there was probably about 30 but like i say every single person knew every single lyric oh no wait a minute joe nan was there so 12 um but yes uh it was absolutely phenomenal joe nan's getting younger all the time he was he was he was 13 a couple of years ago oh well tough yeah (laughs) it's like benjamin button (laughs) the hardcore benjamin button um (laughs) oh that's cool i'm glad you had a good time i did yeah best gig you've seen this year was it no okay so on saturday i went to the best gig that i've been to this year uh the best gig i've seen and i include tall in that (laughs) wow honestly i went to see pet shop boys and they were absolutely fucking mind-blowingly brilliant okay it was beautiful their set list was 26 songs 26 songs renfrey two hour long set just over two hours long of hits throughout their entire career essentially it wasn't an album track uh sort of album in full but it was like a greatest hits in full Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they literally played every single song of theirs that has got in the chart and i like i love the pet shop boys right Mm. like that run of albums from the sort of uh the mid 80s through to about 1992 uh i think is a fucking like uh, that's a, a that's an unbelievable run of records and then they were a good singles band for a while and then i just sort of obviously got into other stuff and blah 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 but i couldn't believe that shit that i'd either forgotten about um monkey business uh you know um what else did they play uh i don't know what i what what you want but i can't give it anymore that's a newer one as well um can you forgive her like i was like oh yeah fuck i remember this song now they played 26 songs and i was there thinking oh you know they're gonna play a kind of like 20 song set and i'll probably know 15 of those 20 songs they played a 26 song set and i knew every word to all 26 songs and it's not just me right who would say this i think if i'd taken you along you would have known at least 15 of those songs, right? I guarantee that you would have known at least 15 of those songs. Because as I stood there and watched these two guys in their fucking 60s um, go through this unbelievable mad cabaret, I was just like, this is one of the greatest back catalogue of greatest hits that any British band has ever ever fucking produced ever it was absolutely fucking incredible it was incredible for a start this the the actual set so they came on and it was just neil Tennant and chris lowe and they were wearing like i mean look, they don't fuck around when it comes to the show they're like they're like a kind of camp ramstein i mean a camper mm. ramstein they were wearing like donnie darko masks oh. right and they had it set up like a um, like a street, so it was like a kind of street with and and it was a really kind of shallow stage. So there was just um, Chris Lowe's keyboard, Neil Tennant's mic stand, and they had like 
um, street lights over top of them, like sort of spotlighted. And they walked out in these kind of Teflon, white kind of shiny silver Teflon suits with these weird fucking Donnie Darko masks and just went into suburbia with this like, like kind of motorway thing behind them. Sounded really great. Like they sounded really, really fucking great. And then as the set wore on, a bit like the Tool thing, actually, when I saw, you know, Tool had that kind of 3D thing in front of them. There's the um, see-through curtain thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this kind of cage that they sort of put the band in came up and it revealed like two percussionists, one of whom would play guitar a little bit, one of whom would play bass a little bit, and another keyboard player. And then Chris Lowe went behind this fucking like 2001 a space odyssey style huge keyboard the size of like rick like you know you see those old rick wakeman ones yeah. that he used to have when he was in yes like a million fucking synthesizers he had one of them it was like a fucking rocket ship it was unbelievable and there were like costume changes and and all the stuff um and their band like again going to watch pop bands and you know when we said oh you know they're really tight and stuff like this pop session musicians are so good yeah not a fucking drop note yeah. all night the and they are they are the best and they played they played it like um you know they're a band they've been they've been around since the sort of you know the mid 80s and when often when you go and see these bands from that sort of era uh, you know, Durant, like I you know, I've watched plenty of Duran Duran live footage or whatever. You know, those kind of pop back. They or you know, I've seen footage of Spandau Ballet and stuff. They do feel like they're of that time. Pet Shop Boys updated everything so that it was like it was as loud as a fucking as like a rave, right? And all the songs kind of bled into each other. Oh, nice! So it was almost like a DJ set where the songs just like it was like one two-hour medley i think they stopped i say that i think they stopped twice so they did um they did uh an acoustic version of um you only tell me you love me when you're drunk so neil Tennant came out and did an acoustic version of that which was unusual but cool mm. um but other than that and i think like after rent so they played rent fifth and I think they he he made a kind of little speech, and then the, everything went up and revealed the rest of the band. And they went off the encore, and I think he had, you know had a little conversation at the start. But it looked amazing. I mean, again, the production was fucking brilliant. Screen weird shit going on behind them. Costume changes. The sound was perfect. The set list. I mean, suburbia. Can you forgive her? Opportunities. Where the Streets Have No Name. They did the Where the Streets Have No Name I know, it's cover. just a bit of a U2 cover. Yeah, very nice. Uh, I know, yeah. Rent. Uh, I don't know what you want, but I can't give it anymore. So Hard. Left to My Own Devices, which is fucking amazing. Um, single Bilingual, Sailor V, Domino Dancing, Monkey Business, New York City Boy, You Only Love When You're Drunk, Jealousy, Love Comes Quickly, Losing My Mind, You Were Always On My Mind, Dreamland, and then this end, Heart, What Have I Done to Deserve This? It's All Right. There's like a vocal part. Go West, it's a sin west end girls being boring that was how they ended i mean when we got to like it's a sin which obviously has taken on a sort of um a new life of its own in in the modern era after the drama of the same name it was a 
sort of genuinely spine tingling experience like that song i think has taken on it's weird because i don't think you ever wouldn't have known what that song was about if you'd have listened to it properly but i think listening to it know it you know having seen the channel 4 tv show the same name and really listening to the lyrics properly you're like well, this is a really heartbreaking beautiful powerful song like so fucking powerful it was absolutely it was absolutely amazing and just every single song was brilliant they came back on and uh, for the encore with west end girls which obviously is their first single this is one of their biggest hits wearing the clothes that they the kind of outfits that they wore in that video from back then um like a kind of retro reference to what they used to do and it was just it was just amazing it was absolutely amazing i've waited so long to see pet shop boys like i i love them and i've waited so long to see them i had tickets to see them in 2016 and i was like vomiting like stomach bug dying ill like not just not just like i've got a bit of a cold i was literally like in bed shivering like going oh i'll be all right i'm gonna go and in the end i was just like i can't i can't fucking go out like it's it's too much yeah and so i was gutted to miss it and so this time i was like i really want to see them i really really want to see them and i knew that it was like a greatest hits tour um but i did sort of think to myself like oh yeah you know the greatest hits some some of their new stuff i won't recognize they are such a unique band and they are so good at just pinning these songs pinning these songs that you hear kind of once or you hear a bit of it and it's unmistakably uniquely them Mm. and they changed the birmingham resort world arena into their entire world their whole existence um they they did that thing that tool did they turned it into their their arena their sort of home Made for two space. hours yeah yeah, yeah yeah and there were no drum solos or weird little or 10 minutes between the encores and stuff so for me therefore it was better um, until... yeah it like honestly if you said to me you can go i mean look tall were fucking amazing mm. on that uk tour mm. they were absolutely fucking amazing no stink fist no do you know what i mean when you're picking no mm-hmm. schism no prison set you know like when you're picking the set list and i I loved you know for me because i've seen tall enough times mm. it was it was fine to go oh cool lots of stuff that i've not seen from fear inoculum yeah. great yeah. but in terms of a how do you compete with this like it's the thing queen did uh, at live aids you know that whole like we came out we had 15 minutes we treated it like a battle of the bands here's our greatest hits pet shop boys coming out and going two hours you aren't allowed to have a piss break. Yeah. I won't. We we will not let you have a piss break. Under and we you you won't check your fucking watch once. It was amazing, man. It was fucking amazing. It was like the from how it looked to how they sounded, and it sounded fucking brilliant. It was just so good. It was so good. And there was a number of times where I heard songs that I I you know I haven't heard for years. You know, what have I done to deserve this? Is so brilliant. And again, like they got um their keyboard player sort of um uh, session musician came out and did the dusty springfield vocal on what have i done to deserve this and they both stood either side of the stage on and they kind of turned it into like a sort of 50s musical type thing like a bit like like a singing in the rain type thing because they like i say there were these two um 
street lights over top of them at the start and they moved to the side of the stage when the whole stage came up and then they both went and stood on either side of it and they kind of they had stage hands come out and like push them around on wheels on these little things and it just looked really like yeah, it was really kind of it was schmaltzy and it was ott and it was hollywood but it was it was entertaining and it was it was lovely and it was just fun it was just nice it was just it was just a nice night out do you know what i mean it was just a really really enjoyable night out with loads of really really good songs and um and and you know and i was gonna say occasionally not even occasionally like a fair few times like you know it's a sin was amazing and that's not even one of my favorite songs really but hearing shit like you know their version of where the streets have no name and left on my own devices and you know stuff like that i think was amazing and um when they did uh being boring they dedicated it to andy fletcher from depeche mode as the last song so that was quite a thing as well and i guess that brings me on to um to what we're about to talk about as we go into sort of the last few bits of the podcast um yeah i was at uh where was i i was out and about on i was just about to go into casket feeder on thursday and i went for something to eat and i saw a tweet from the pesh mode um saying andy fletcher had passed away um at 60 which is young you know like it's another one of these things that we have to do quite a lot i might pass over to you really quickly renfrey because i feel like i've probably got more to say about it than you with respect and also um i don't quite know what i'm going to say yet so is there anything that you'd like to uh to say first well we... the majority of my depeche mode <clears throat> knowledge i suppose i've garnered from this po- po- from this podcast and doing um music for the masses and violator on classic album and depeche mode were always a band prior to starting this podcast that i knew about and i knew had had a massive influence on a whole range of stuff that i loved nine inch nails placebo um muse i think to an extent like so many different bands that i was really really into um but i've certainly learn a lot more about them since doing this and had a lot more respect for them music for the masses is an album that i still play from time to time after doing that and obviously this just became uh so unexpectedly he just passed away in his home at the age of 60 and you know we're talking about the keyboard player for depeche mode here this is a founding member of the band someone who he was with the band the entire time, right? You know, I mean, there have been questions. Every single album, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I know there have been some questions about whether Depeche Mode can or even want to continue after this. I don't think it's one to be, to to, to bother them with, certainly at the moment. Um, I don't know your feelings on that. Maybe you want to talk about that in a bit or not. I don't know. But um, it's very sad indeed. And I'm... Uh, obviously i'm just a casual depeche mode fan at best i would say but i was very saddened to hear of this yeah um it's funny this oh it's not funny is it but it's it's odd this because um depeche mode are like legit one of my favorite ever 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 bands 
like absolutely legit one of my favorite ever bands and i think um i might not have said that five years ago if you'd have asked me who my favorite bands are, i might not have said depeche mode because i think you know being in the <clears throat> the midst of uh sort of mainly listening to metal you do kind of just you just kind of consider those bands quite a lot and um and i think the one thing that having sort of a few months of not doing a podcast was good for me particularly was i think remembering that there was a time in my life where i didn't just listen to guitar heavy music you know mm. we've done the specials on this podcast we've spoken about madness we've spoken about u2 a lot and the cure um and duran duran and depeche mode were one of those bands that were just always there i was obviously very sad when mark lanagan died and we did that thing for mark lanagan who is a real fucking hero of mine or chris cornell who's a real fucking hero of mine it was really upsetting and you know i f but i remember a time where i didn't know who chris cornell was and i didn't know who mark lanagan was you know i remember experiencing discovering those artists mm. I don't really remember that with Depeche Mode. They were just there from when I was a kid. Mm. And this is the first time in my life where I can remember Depeche Mode not being there. I remember sort of realising who they were um, when sort of Enjoy the Silence came out. I remember seeing the video for Enjoy the Silence. I think I said we said this on the, the Violator special. I remember seeing the video for enjoy the silence and then being like oh that's Depeche Mode but I'd already heard people had said the name Depeche Mode and you'd hear them coming up on the radio Depeche Mode or that was Depeche Mode and then I was like oh just can't get enough and oh this and do you know what I mean like I I know those I know those songs they've just always been there and it is weird when something which has just always been there is suddenly not there anymore you've got to contemplate a world where that thing that person is just no longer there anymore and this i found this really upsetting about andy fletcher i found it genuinely really upsetting and you know andy fletcher's been on every single depeche mode album like he is a massive part of the band although weirdly he was sort of not, you know, like I was thinking, if I, I was thought to myself, you know, if I felt like this about Andy Fletcher, Lord only knows how I'm going to feel when Martin Gore or Dave Gahan goes, because they're the ones that I feel like I have the actual connection to, because we sort of said it when we did the Music for the Masses special, Andy Fletcher was, you know, the other guy mm. in Depeche Mode, and he sort of made a reputation, he has a reputation amongst Depeche Mode fans, a kind of almost tongue-in-cheek comedy reputation as being the guy who i mean he even said it himself i did a little piece for louder uh, um after he died and i found a quote from him saying all i do is turn up for photo shoots and cash my checks mm. you know he's not got any writing credits um he's you know he's he's never sung on any of the albums you see them live there are hilarious videos 
of Depeche Mode playing live where, you know, there's one where he eats a banana in the middle of Policy of Truth and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's living the fucking dream. There's a guy who is just like, you know, he's not this weird alien looking enigmatic rock star like Martin Gore. He's not this you know, Jagger, Bowie-esque, slinky, snake-hipped, leather-trousered Lothario like Dave Gahan. He's a tall guy with glasses and ginger hair and you're not really sure what he does in the band or you weren't really sure what he does in the band. And I guess he's relatable for fans in that sense. Yeah, it remi- absolutely. I, I don't think it's exactly the same thing, but I think Stone Gossard kind of represents that role in Pearl Jam, just to throw out another yeah. example. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you think that like, you know, I think you every band needs these people. And from what I know about Andy yes. Fletcher, his role is the glue in that band. You know, there are so many videos of Depeche Mode coming out of hotels, turning up at airports. He's the guy who would stand there and sign autographs all day. He's the guy who would talk to fans. He's the guy who would come out first. He's the guy who would wander over to the people with their photo and get his photo taken with them. He's the person that was like, I need to make the most of this because I have been, you know, I have, I'm in a band surrounded by two legitimate kind of enigmatic one-offs and I'm not that. And for him to stay and play in, like for me, you know, since 1980 to, you know, what was it, 2017, Spirit came out. Like, that's 37 years of playing on, you know, some of the, like, one of the the greatest back catalogues in the history of music by anyone by anyone's standard Depeche Mode have got one of the best back catalogues in music like they're comparable to like you can chuck I don't give a shit who you chuck at me I would go yeah Depeche Mode are in that bracket in that league definitely definitely and he's played on every single one of those records and um you know, when Martin Gore and Dave Gahan, famously, you know, when we spoke on the Violator special, when they became this huge band, they could have split up. They could have died. Like, the members of that band could have died. And the stuff you read about Andy Fletcher being the glue, being the man who went as a mediator between these two guys, yeah. and beca- arguably, Depeche Mode could have split up after... Um, Songs of Faith and Devotion in 1993 without Andy Fletcher and that would have been the end of it we would have got no Ultra we've got no Exciter we would have got no Playing the Angel you know there's there's so much more great music and great live shows that they did as a band that they wouldn't have done not because Andy Fletcher is a great musician or was a fantastic artist or was you know the creative spark that made that band tick but just by being a nice bloke who would do his job when he needed to do his job. And he's arguably the reason that he facilitated all of that. You know, he's a facilitator for that band. And as for do they go on? I mean, musically speaking, they can like they, it'll be one of those where like they can, Mm. I mean, again, to sort of, to give it another kind of comparative point, I would like to go and see the prodigy. Mm. again mm. 
without Keith Flynn because the prodigy in theory Liam Howlett does the music Max in reality is really the front man the prodigy can still function without Keith Flynn mm. and they look like they will go well, they they are going to try and do that um but it'll never be the same mm. it'll never be the same and I kind of feel like that with Depeche Mode I think they can could function as a live band as a as a as a band just the two of them i don't know if this would make alan wilder consider coming back i very much doubt it but who knows um but it can't ever be the same and um i, I wonder if they will mm-hmm. you know i i do genuinely wonder if they will think it worth their time to to do that without him uh yeah I mean, it's just, it's just weird, you know, like, like I say, I remember a world without Soundgarden in, in my life, and I remember a world without the Screaming Trees, or without um, Slipknot, I mean, Slipknot are still going, without Joe Jordison or Paul Gray, do you know what I mean? I, I know that, but I don't really know what this is, what the world is like without a sort of fully functioning Depeche Mode and that is a weird feeling and you know like I say if it's if I feel like it's Randy Fletcher then when it's fucking Bono or <laughs> Robert Smith <laughs> do you know what I mean I think I'm gonna fucking have a nervous breakdown so um, it's really sad it's really really sad and uh, yeah he just seemed like a dude Fletch he just seemed like an absolute fucking dude like make you you know you have made more than the most out of your life oh god by being in that band i think it's important to reiterate as well just that point that you made about um the glue that puts these bands together and the fact that every band every functioning band has that person has someone who can you know bring everybody together bring you know maybe the clashing personalities together and so on and so forth and we talked about that extensively in those specials and bands that don't have that inevitably usually combust um so it'll be interesting to see what happens but like certainly the importance of those members who maybe take a step back from the spotlight quite often i think in our position we can see much more often just how important those people are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah i agree uh r.i.p fletch i've and you know what i never got to see the pesh mode for again for whatever reason there are a few times particularly in the sort of early 2000s where i was going to go and see them i didn't and yeah so i'm kind of like i do like selfishly i kind of hope it ca- they carry on but then also i'm like well mm. i missed it now haven't i really <clears throat> anyway uh one last thing to talk about before we move on ollie sykes did an interview with kerrang renfrey now we've spoken about bring me the horizon quite a lot because there's always something to talk about with bring me the horizon and um 
he had a little bit of a moan and I thought it was quite interesting at what he was actually moaning about. He says, our band was kind of branded as a Motley Crue-esque bunch of fucking dickheads. One of the first interviews I did, the guy twisted every single word. Things that were said as a joke were put like I was saying it angrily and it was just a massive shock to me that we were portrayed as these people. I thought I was a nice guy and there were all these magazines that said that I wasn't. It was amazing just how your words could be twisted into something you didn't mean and I struggled with that. People either painted me as an idol or I was fucking hated. You're the guy in the cover and it's photoshopped and put in the best light and you can never look like that. And you're not also this horrible evil person. You're just a regular person that makes mistakes like everyone else. But no one thinks you're a regular person. You're either a cunt or God. And it's quite a head fuck. And I thought that was an interesting thing. Not necessarily strictly because of Bring Me The Horizon. But in terms of we, the media, I mean, I guess you and I have to be considered part of that machine in some way. Um. The difference between, you know, I guess talking about a band because you don't like their music and then talking about a band as a sort of individual and how these people are painted as individuals. Um, has Ollie Sykes got a point here? Has he got a right to feel kind of aggrieved? Whether or not he acted like a dickhead or whatever he acted like, kind of going out of your way to to complete a narrative we've spoken about this before and how we feel like we're quite lucky that we almost we can bring music to you and go you should listen to that because it's good and you don't have to have a hook you don't have to have an angle you don't have to have a this guy said this and he's da 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 and you know we've spoken about a fair few people that are like that we've mentioned Corey taylor a bunch of times we've spoken about machine gun kelly we're always talking about bring me the horizon there are you know <laughs> because in a lot of ways some of those people have now become more interesting to talk about than to listen to musically yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely um uh does he have a point but, i don't know um maybe i think it'd be difficult to say for certain without being a fly on the wall of those conversations i do think that bring me at the time that i imagine he is talking about had i'm guessing little to no media training and when people talk about media training it's just like more often than not i think sometimes people think of media training as quite a salacious thing but more often than not it's just like phrase it in this way because it could be if you phrase it in the way that you were phrasing it it could be read as something different you know i think that's the bulk of media training to be fair i've not undergone it myself but you know i think that is generally what it is um so it could have just been sort of not having that knowledge and not being aware that that stuff would come across in that way um, or maybe he's just being even more blunt than that and being even more straightforward and saying, no, literally, he twisted my words to the point where, you know, I was basically saying things that I hadn't said or whatever. Um, but I mean, all I can speak of really is my own personal experience. And obviously, I personally feel like I work really hard to make sure that the person that's speaking what they want to say is made clear and it's put across in the way that they said it and i think that's part of the job of the journalist and i would like to think i was good at that i think if i didn't think i was good at it i probably wouldn't be doing the job but then i guess every journalist thinks they're good at it and some of them probably aren't but this is one of those things where like you can't actually tell unless you were in the room 
when the interview was mm. happening at the time and then saw the write-up of it later you just you just can't like let's not forget that a lot of bands i'm not saying this would bring me the horizon necessarily although in the early days i wouldn't have been surprised but a lot of bands tend to just get fucking wrecked for press days because they're boring and they've got you know they'll be offered free drinks from the label it's usually like often they'll take place at the label and the label will get them whatever they want blah 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 and they just end up getting like really pissed for the day you know like it doesn't always happen like that but we've interviewed a few pissed people over the years um and um you know so things might that might not be the best way to come across sometimes and it it could be all manner of things and being this far away from it i wouldn't want to say yes that is definitely correct i'm sure bring me have had their fair i mean certainly bring me certainly attract a lot of people who dislike them for reasons which really don't seem important i think quite often those reasons will be exaggerated in order to i don't know in order to make their quite weak point seem stronger um some people just don't like them because they just don't like them like well i wouldn't go as far as say i don't like them but i think they have a very very shaky career (laughs) you know like like when they're good i think they've been extraordinary but i think they've done some absolutely terrible things as well as we have discussed in the past um but i feel like it's a weird thing to blame the media because that idea of like either being a god or being you know satan or something that feels more of a social media black and white thing to me than it does a media thing maybe i'm maybe it's the places where i get my media i don't know but i kind of feel like social media is the reflection of that now which kind of suggests that it's a reflection of i don't know human psychology i think people want to simplify things by making them either heroes or villains because that's Mm. just easier you know yeah no that's a that's a that's a good point i mean is it the media is it just if everyone had the opportunity to do that would they that maybe everybody would do that do you know what i mean or a lot of people would do that social people media suggests fucking that gossip. yeah social yeah media people love a, you know people love um <laughs> people people love a, people love a fucking um you know they 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 love a pile on and they love a, to be judgmental you know um and i think that probably reflects that and always sort of has uh i put this out on twitter to see what people thought about it brad 77 said i sympathize to the extent that it really isn't the media's place to get personal with any criticisms or comments but it doesn't tend to be apropos of nothing and i've certainly never maliciously called anyone a dickhead when they weren't acting like a dickhead um jack butler terry says i don't attribute their dickhead branding to the media i attribute their dickhead branding to how i've seen them read ollie come across on stage it's the brit awards mate stop trying to intimidate um uh someone else has said um dan from buds said they've not really done anything of recent that deserves that title making music to chase the zeitgeist or to solely make money might make you lack integrity but does it make you a dick absolutely not i don't think it does um Carl James Black says, maybe it's just one of them that's a dickhead. Now, I kind of broadly wanted to, because, you know, we had, there are a few other people that were like, oh, yeah, they're dickheads, or, you know, like, oh, they've done this and they've done that. Um, I have interviewed Jordan from Bring Me the Horizon a couple of times, and he seems like a really genuinely nice guy. 
I think. Obviously, he wasn't in the band around the area that we're talking about. Um, I have also interviewed the drummer. Matt, is, this, is it Matt Nichols, the drummer? Don't ask don't me. Know, do you? Okay, uh, I actually don't know the drummer's name. I could look it up, but um, it's not really it's a worth drummer. it, is it? <laughs> not really worth it, no. And he seemed all right. I mean, he was... I mean, look, the stereotype of drummers is that they're not the brightest folk. And I think he did definitely live up to that particular stereotype. Um, <laughs> he, did, he, he, did, he did a bit. He did a bit. But like, um, I don't know if he was, he was just a little, he might have been early. He was a bit dopey when I spoke to him, but he was fine. And I think I've said before about Ollie Sykes, you know, he came over and watched, I mean, this doesn't make you a nice person or not a dickhead, but he came over and watched uh, At The Gates at the Metal Hammer Awards, oh, yeah. who's literally the only person, and he looked like he was having a fucking lovely time, and he really, really wanted to be there. Um, and we did a special on, uh, not special, we did a broken record on um, blessings. Count Your Blessings, and we kind of went through this whole era where they were kind of young, drunk, sort of obnoxious kids. And I think you have to kind of go, they were young, drunk obnoxious kids do you know what i mean i think you kind of have to just sort of take that into account in the case of bring me the horizon because i'll be honest I, I very much doubt that you know they're a similar age to metallica when they were young and metallica did some pretty shitty obnoxious things when they were kids trivium people i mean trivium maybe didn't do anything quite as actually sort of morally shaky as bring me the horizon but people are always like oh trivium the fucking arrogant kids and stuff i think people like to go boo arrogant kids quite a lot do you know what i mean i do think they like to do that so i feel like ollie sykes may have a point that just again you know in society in general the media would look at a band like bring me the horizon and go this is really easy to pigeonhole this band as sort of cheeky snotty arrogant kids right and if people love your music, they'll go, yeah, look at those young bucks doing it for, you know, heavy metal like they did with Metallica. But if they don't, if you've got the wrong haircut, I mean, I saw some of the comments when Metal Hammer tweeted this out. And one guy was like going, yeah, they are dickheads. Look at their hair. Look at their T-shirts. Look at the way that they look like emo, like blah, 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 blah. And it's like, it doesn't make him a dickhead, does it? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't make you a dickhead because they have a different haircut to you. No, that's ridiculous and stupid, and probably says more about the commenter than it does about Bring Me the Horizon. Um, there are the, I mean, there is an infamous piss incident, which I think is pretty unforgivable, um, and which I, I think at this stage we are pretty much saying is true. Like it was rumored for a long time, but the rumors don't go away, which leads me to believe that it's probably true. Uh, having said that, you know, Mike Patton's done exactly the same thing. Um, but then, you know, do I want Mike Patton pissing on a security guard's head? Not particularly. I don't need it. Um, I happen to really like Mike Patton's music. So, you know, I continue to listen to him and stuff. And it's not enough for me to go, oh, no, I'm not going to listen to that guy anymore. But, you know, uh, I think I think there are the odd instant. There's the odd instant here and there. You go, well, that's pretty unforgivable. But you know, they were all a very long time ago. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, we've talked about this again a whole bunch of times. I think you just mm. have to have your own personal moral compass. And if your personal moral com compass 
doesn't align with someone else's personal moral compass, I don't really see the point in arguing with them about it. There are plenty no. of people who are vegetarians and there are plenty of people who are meat eaters. And those who are vegetarians might have reasons for not eating meat, like, you know, not wanting to kill animals and stuff like that. But I'm mm -hmm. a meat eater and I'm friends with loads of vegetarians because the majority of the vegetarians I'm friends with aren't elitist pricks so you know it's just like realizing that other people can have a different opinion <laughs> basically doesn't it that's what it boils down yeah yeah i mean i think you know we've you've, you've jumped kind of quite far ahead into this which i mean i was going to bring up that whole incident and go look if somebody is like i wouldn't listen to that band i know what they did back then they did that to that girl that's fucking disgusting fuck that band like i could you know i, I would go yeah you know fair enough but I do think in terms of, I mean, this is happening before that, right? So, you know, like even, bef even before that, Bring Me The Horizon were painted as, you know, on the strength of that, if you are like, well, they were painted like that and then they went and pissed in a girl's hair or something. So I can kind of understand why they were painted like that. But then, or you might go, well, before they'd even done anything, people were already saying they're feral little bastards. So, you know, maybe it was a self-fulfilling prophecy or whatever. Um, they did get drunk it, a lot. I mean, I don't, they did get drunk I don't a lot. know if they played a single show on the Count Your Blessings tour sober from the accounts that I've heard. Um, but, you know, I mean, you know, and like, there's plenty of Mate, young bands kids to get do drunk that. though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of young bands to do that. But if you're going to do that, I don't think you should be too mortified or surprised if you end up getting that reputation, to be totally honest. Yeah, that is true. I think, you know, it doesn't appear to me like Bring Me The Horizon or Ollie in particular have done anything which you would consider controversial in like a decade at least now, right? Nothing that's been reported, no. No, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm saying that as a caveat. I mean, you know, <laughs> we don't want any Ian Watkins situation on our hands here. <laughs> I'm, saying, no, 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 I'm well, saying nothing that's been reported. I'm not saying that means something has happened behind the scenes. I'm just saying nothing that's been reported. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I thought you were saying that, like, <laughs> it's just when you say that, it makes it sound like, you know, obviously we do know something which we're not no, no, allowed no, to no, tell no, you. No, no, no. I, I have no insider info at all on their yeah, behaviour, yeah, yeah, yeah. on, on Ollie's behaviour in the last 10 years. I have no idea. So, to everybody's knowledge right now. Yes. Okay. Basically, since that last incident with Bring Me Horizon, it's not like they've they've gone, all oh, right, well, we'll just carry on like shitting and pissing and puking and getting drunk and sure. kicking people and beating people up and doing it. Like, they haven't done that for ages. They are now a huge professional band. Yes, they've grown up. And yeah, yeah and, I, and I think maybe, like for my own, my own personal opinion would be that I think they've earned the right to just be spoken about whether or not you enjoy their music. You know? Oh, 100%. I, I can't deny that. Not at all. No, no, no. Um, but I think mm. that's a far deeper ingrained problem than just bringing the horizon. But sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, um, it, and it, it, it go, but, you know, it, like, it obviously is upset Ollie Sykes. And I think it would. I think if you were like, fucking hell, I feel like no matter what I do, people are still bringing up these things that I did literally a decade ago. Like when I was a kid, mm. fucking hell, man. I mean, I can imagine I, if someone was like, oh, you're the, was just like, oh, you're the guy who 
puked on your singing teacher's car bonnet when you were 17 which is what i did when i was 17 i, I puked on my singing teacher's car bonnet after we'd done uh and we, we did the thrupney opera at college if i'd known and we this, went out i would have never and we started went, this podcast with we you. went yeah i know we went out afterwards and i got really drunk and i just spewed up all over my um uh, singing teacher's car bonnet and he didn't see and then he got in the car and he drove away um is that the same as pissing in him. a girl's hair <laughs> no no I'm it's not, not sure but it i wouldn't want someone to bring that up like but sure. i wouldn't want someone to bring that up over every and day and over and over again like, oh maybe you did that maybe you did that maybe it's like fucking of hell course, yeah. so you know i can see why it would get exhausting although if ollie sykes had a little bit more common sense he wouldn't bring this up at all in interviews because of course as a result of him bringing this up in an interview we have now brought up that incident and now more people are going to talk about it so bit thick <laughs> but you know how long has it been playing on his mind you know how long do you how long can you hold your tongue for renfrey this yeah. is the thing isn't it yeah I would just hold how long do you, in those situations how, if I were him, but hey. But you don't know what it's like to have that being like fucking all the time, all the time, all the time, you know? And he might have been asked it in an interview. Yeah. You know, about the early days. Well, he might have been, this is the thing that I was going back to before. We can't really comment on this without being a fly on the wall of the interview that he is talking about, can we? So... Um, and this particular interview that has come from as well. You can't really say one way or the other. Mm. I mean, this is the thing. You, uh, I do believe that everyone realises, you know, just through like WhatsApp messages and stuff like that and like arguments that they would have inevitably got into that sometimes the written word can't isn't as clear as, um, you know, speech, as intonations and inflections and blah, blah, blah. This is... Apart a- from Elstorm. <laughs> it is for Elstorm. <laughs> by the way <laughs> this is a fairly <laughs> commonly known thing um you realize that even more when you do what we do i think as soon as you transcribe an interview you realize oh shit that intention or the fact that that is a joke for example does not come across properly on the page and mm. if you're a good writer you either omit it or you put in a word blah 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 said sarcastically or whatever like it's not difficult this is the thing it's not that hard to like figure it out but that's part of the writing puzzle isn't it um it is yeah. quite a fun part as well i think but like that is part of it that's part of the job and like how well you know we're in a sense like, this is going to be wanky but in a, in a sense we are translating what they're saying you know we're just translating it from speech to uh words and there are times when you know that can be miscommunicated as a result but i think if you've got a good writer i think the majority of them should be able to do that one would yeah. think one would think <laughs> but hey how unfortunate that we don't know any yeah um all right yeah i just thought it's an interesting little i you know it, the whole kind of band versus journalist dynamic thing is obviously quite interesting to me. I got offered an interview with Matt Tuck yesterday uh, and I said, I don't think that's a very good idea just in case for Metal Hammer. Um, Dave Everly said, like, hey, do you want to interview Matt Tuck? And I was like, I think maybe he he won't like that. So no. I, I'm going to respectfully decline. I would suggest um, you don't do that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't really need to talk to Matt Tuck, do I? And Matt Tuck definitely doesn't want to talk to me. He certainly doesn't want to. <laughs> so it's sort of best to keep away from... I mean, I know there are people who are like, oh, the 
music industries too molly coddled and da 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 and all this sort of thing now but i think broadly speaking you know it's fine thanks very much for listening guys we'll be back next week uh we might have a special guest next week maybe a little kind of chat guest and we're going to be reviewing some live shows i and we i should say are going to go and see Meshuggah at the royal albert hall in zealand arda you're going to see something else i don't know that's it for me i'm going to see run the jewels tomorrow oh yeah i forgot about that fucking great i am fucking absolutely licking my lips in anticipation of that is that the right thing to say Uh, anyway yeah and so yes you were gonna eat them Mm -hmm. i might do that (laughs) uh maybe uh so run the jewels review next week and then meshuggah and zinlada zinlada of course are playing arctangent our sponsors go over to arctangent dot code at uk forward slash tickets put the code right act atg into the checkout and you can get 10 percent off an already incredibly reasonably priced ticket for what should be a fantastic weekend we'll see you next week um with all of that and more undoubtedly see you then bye bye <laughs>